am I being ironic if I talk too fast during this episode? <laughs> I don't know. So yeah, I, I love this subject because I struggle with it. As I'm, as you can see, I changed the speed of my voice because I reminded myself that I need to slow down. There's so many times that I'll catch myself and I can feel it right now as I'm talking into the microphone. There's a bit of tension that comes with doing these podcasts. Now, I'm still a newbie in my mind. I have this one that I just started a few weeks ago. And then I have the Ghost Guy Daniel podcast, the paranormal one that I do where I talk about ghosts, my, 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 my passion, my other passion, not true passion, my other passion other than this, the spiritual stuff. And I have found even I've done the Ghost Guy Daniel podcast for oh, it's got to be going on two years now. And I still like I, I feel definitely more comfortable in front of the mic now. And there's days when I feel just like it's extremely natural but then there's other days that I kind of, not dread, but I'm, I'm hesitant to sit down and do the podcast because I want to give my best. I want to be my best for you guys, whoever's listening, because it's important to me that I put out a good quality show. But that's kind of the rub. This might be a little off topic, but there's kind of a rub there because of the fact that if you get into that mindset, it might become a habit. And I'm very worried about that in the sense that if I feel like I'm not putting out my best quality and I delay and I delay and I delay, then eventually I'm just going to, you know, say, forget it. This isn't what I'm meant to be doing. And that's the wrong mentality, especially here, because when I originally thought of doing these podcasts, the paranormal one and this one here, it gave me a lot of excitement. And I know like when that's like, uh, um, trigger sorry <laughs> no no better word uh trigger for me that's a, a good trigger in the sense that if i feel a lot of excitement for an idea then there's got to be something to it it's almost like the world's trying to lead me into it but it's not perfection that's what i can say is like just because you feel excited for something and you talk about it there's no perfection there you're not you're not going to immediately be in love with it and always feel motivated to do it and in fact, if you hit a failure or two failures or three failures down the road, you might actually lose that motivation and then just give it up completely. This seems to be very common these days is that people don't pursue mastery and things anymore because of the failures that come. And there's just this uncertainty that comes along with it. Now, I don't envy anybody who is seeking their passion in life and has no safety net to fall back on. This, I think, is a very important thing, too, is to have a safety net um, to fall back on as you're seeking something to master your passion in life until it becomes a viable thing to do. And by viable, I mean the unfortunate reality that we need money. So you need to have something that you can live on, that you need to show some type of respect uh, towards it, that you have gotten because you've become very good at it before you people even be helping you with it. If anything, I'm always like, just keep it to yourself or talk to strangers. Go on. Thank God for social media. Go on social media. Talk to those folks about your ideas because they don't know you personally 
And that's an advantage when it comes to this. It's not the old crabs trying to pull the other crabs down. Instead, you know, these people only know you through your online system. And usually folks are supportive in that regard. And if you end up get a couple of online close friends, which I highly recommend as well, you can bounce ideas off of them. You can, you know, share what you're planning to do and see what they think. But anyway, this is, I'm, I'm way off the rails right here and I didn't mean to do that. So the original subject of what I'm going to talk about is being able to slow down your life. And really it is kind of related because slowing down your life, if you are doing what you're passionate about, making money, doing what you love, then what ends up happening is you can naturally slow down your life because you're not dreading anything. You're not dreading the next task. You're not dreading the next job. If anything, you're looking forward to it. And if it is your own business, which that's another thing I would recommend, if you're doing your passion, go out on your own. Don't work for other people. Work for yourself. You know, have that freedom to be able to not be beholden to somebody else who is going to push you to stress and push you to go fast and push you to do too much than what you're capable of to live a normal and natural life. And I'll talk a little bit about that in a bit. So the overall subject, slowing down your life, because it's been all too common that people tend to speed things up. I've fallen into that. I still fall into that to this day is if it's a very busy time for me and for me with my, my other business with, uh, the ghost tours, uh, busy time is around Halloween obviously in the summertime, I find that I definitely have to speed things up during that time. But I just thank God that's not 12 months a year that I have to do that, that I can do it only at specific times. And then after that, I can, you know, calm back down and go at a, uh, my, my happy pace. Some people might say a slow pace. I say happy pace because it works well for me, but they get, they get into this mindset, right? It's like, um, I have to do the job of three people so that my company keeps me and I have job security. I hate to break it to you. I mean, nobody technically has job security. When you're working for one of these corporations, there's no loyalty. There's no loyalty at all. In fact, they'll, they'll step on you and not even think twice about it. I, I'll give you a quick story. I have a friend uh, who will remain nameless, but uh, he worked for a well-known company that was on a downward spiral. And a lot of the people there were either leaving or they were being laid off in mass amounts, like, you know, thousands and thousands of uh, folks a month. And he stayed. I don't know if there's a sense of loyalty, a sense that his job was secure. He felt he was un- wouldn't be able to be replaced. You know, and I, I was saying to him, I said, oh, you, you can't show your loyalty towards them because they're not going to be loyal to you. And I don't, I don't even know if that was his motivation, but in the end, he ended up getting laid off like the rest of them. And not even just on top of that, because there was a set law that said he needed to receive a certain amount of severance pay as well, for because he was there for a really long time, very loyal to them, and did his job to the best of his abilities. And then they just laid him off. And not only that, they, they, they screwed him out on his severance too. They only gave him a percent, a small, like a, maybe half or something of his severance, and knowing full well that he's not going to spend the money to get a lawyer and go after them. Uh, you know, they took complete advantage of him. And I know his story is not uncommon. 
So, I mean, that just tells you right there, if you are killing yourself in a job that's not your passion and that you're basically building the dream world for somebody else, that's fine. I mean, if you're, if you're fine being in that job and you accept it and it works well for you, that's all, you know, fine and dandy. But if you're stressed, if it's too much for you, if you, if you're just not enjoying it, then it, it becomes not five anymore. So then people rush, they do the job of one, two, three, four people, and then they can brag about it and say, yeah, yeah, I'm so good that I can do the job of this many people, but it's not so much, yeah, you might be good and that's great, but also you might be overly stressed. You might be spending way too much time at work and ignoring your family, ignoring your kids, however it might be, the old uh, stereotypes that are out there today. So because of this too, you're always rushing to get things done. You always have it sitting in the back of your mind that you're going to have to go to work and do that same thing tomorrow. When was the last time you took a vacation? Even if you did take a vacation, were you actually on vacation? Or were you checking your phone? Were you when you were sitting back trying to get some sun, thinking about the tasks that are waiting for you when you get back? That's not really being unplugged. That's not really relaxing. You're basically still working inside your mind, and that stress still remains there. So you're rushing to get things done. You're stressed. You're also beholden to another person for approval, aka the the boss, you know, the person in charge. Now, it'd be very difficult in this world to have a job or a business that didn't have a boss. I even have a boss. Like I, when I, with uh, the tours that I do, I'm technically the top guy. Right? I'm the owner. I, I make the decisions. But my boss is the general public. It's you know people like you who come to the tours. And if the, my boss, the general public, didn't enjoy the tours, then I would need to change things. But I can see that in the sense that it's much better in the sense that I can make the decisions of the day-to-day tasks with my own business. And even though I do have a boss as the customer, my goal, of course, is to make them happy and for them to enjoy the tours that are being given. And once that happens, which I believe it already has, that's me boasting, but once that happens, you know, you can kind of sit back and say, okay, I'm proud of this. I've created something and I have a skill to create this and you can repeat it and it, it no longer becomes a stress because you have a recipe. It's like an analogy there for cooking. I'm probably going to butcher this, but you know, you follow a recipe the first time, it's not going to be perfect. So you're making eggplant Parmesan and you follow the recipe and you're like, oh, this isn't as good as I thought it would be. But then the second time, it's easier, and then it comes out better. And a third time, it's even easier, and it comes out better. And after the fourth, fifth, sixth time, you're not even using the recipe anymore. You know it all off by heart. And after the sixth, seventh, eighth, to ninth time, you are now adding your own things to it because you know I like the taste of a little more salt, or I like it to be a bit more Parmesan. And you, you actually improve on it. And this is kind of an analogy to that road to mastery. Until finally, at the very end, you make the best eggplant parmesan on the entire planet. People are seeking out your eggplant parmesan. <laughs> they're, they're coming from all over the world just to eat your amazing eggplant parmesan. <laughs> and you're sitting in the back, you're, you're cooking it, and you're like, you're just doing it like little this, little that, little this, cook it like this. You know, I'm going to read a book while I wait for it to finish cooking. I mean, you just, it's easy for you at this point. Anyway, analogy for mastery. 
But being beholden to another person for approval is what's going to insert stress into your life because there's never really any relaxation among that. So you're going to have a job and you're going to do this and you might become really good at it and maybe it becomes a little bit easier. But when it becomes a little bit easier, that the bosses, the managers, they're watching. And something I'm going to mention as well later is the idea that, you know, you don't really have off time. Like when you're in that office, no matter how efficient you are, you're from, you know, nine to five working at every moment, even if you're just pretending. And this is something that happens. It's like people pretend to work because if they're, they feel if they're not working, it looks like they're lazy and then they might lose their job. So they're fearful of not looking like they're working. I call this empty time. And that empty time is actually very valuable to you because it's better not to waste your time doing, you know, something that doesn't matter because you've already finished all your other work. There's nothing more to do. You still want to look like you deserve that job. And you also don't want somebody else's job thrust on you. And then you have the karma for, you know, them being fired. I understand the worry very much. But that empty time there is very, very valuable. And, uh, you know, nowadays is, there's more opportunity to be able to fill that empty time with things that matter. But if you're in an office, it's much harder to do. I always say um, as, a, as one idea, uh, when I was uh, doing IT support, that was my job before I went into the tours, I would use my empty time. But I, I wasn't being monitored all the time, but I also asked for approval to study. So I, I would say to them, can I, you know, and they would pay for it too, which was awesome of them. Uh, I would go online courses. And if I had downtime, I would just look at those courses and I would learn new things for, related to my job. And that I found was very useful other than, you know, pretending I'm looking at a website or something. But with that boss there, you're not really in control of your pace. And that's a difficult part of this because you could be amazing at what you do, get to be the best, find efficiency in every single angle, but that only works against you. And this is one thing that I would always change about uh, the office environment is they should have a set mind. Like if you have amazing talent, don't overwork them. Don't push them to leave. Allow them to do their thing. And then they, they give them like the, the reward is the fact that they have more empty time to be able to fill with other things if they're working towards their passion, as long as it's related to what the company does, then why not? I mean, if they're doing the same, they're getting paid to do a certain job. These are the specific things they need to accomplish and they're accomplished them and they have that empty time left over. I would reward it to them because then they would be a happier employee. They would be, they would work harder for you and who knows, maybe their efficient systems will make your business even better, but that's not what we do. That's not what, maybe there's companies out there that do this, but I don't think it's the majority. Instead, what they do is they just pile on more. Here's more work. Oh, you got empty time? Oh, can you finish this for me? Can you do this for me? And then the, the bosses up at the top, they get more free time. Although, you know, the most dedicated bosses usually have bosses on top of them. And they're the ones, they're also the ones that are in this, uh, this, the same container here of getting more and more stuff piled on, then they'll pile it downwards. And it just, it's an unending cycle, but you know, that's my uh, suggestion. I mean, if you have the best and brightest working for you, 
why overwork them? Why ruin their lives? If they can do what they need to do and make your business better and they're rewarded with that empty time to, you know, pursue their passions or learn new things, I, I say, why not? I know uh, there's a uh, the million and billionaires out there who would disagree with me on that. I know uh, an example recently, if you guys are familiar with uh, Twitter, which actually this is through this, I'm this is the only time I'm on Twitter because it's perfect for daily quotes. But the whole drama that's going behind the scenes with that, with Elon Musk taking over the Twitter platform, and I'm not for or against it. I, from my point of view, I'm, I'm just starting out on there. I mean, it seems to run fine. I, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of people who are addicted to drama on Twitter, which is, you know, that's if they, they find that fun, then good for them. But I, I do see a lot of that, but I also see a lot on the spiritual side too. So, I mean, it looks like there's different worlds within Twitter. I do. I, I, I believe that I see it being the largest social media site on the planet. And I do think it's going to grow. I think that's the the angle they're going to go with. They're eventually going to take over some of the other ones as they add more functionality. But I know when Elon Musk took over, he uh, laid off and fired a whole whack of people, which, you know, I'm not for that. But I mean, from what I heard, there was a lot of areas that were just kind of bloated, like too many people doing too little things. But then he says to them, okay, are you guys willing to work you know, uh, 60, 70 hour weeks or whatever. And you're going to, you know, you're going to work your butts off and not ever see your family again, uh, to stay. I would, I would walk. I, I put myself in those shoes. If I was a Twitter employee and that's what they say, I would leave because I would realize, okay, he is focused on building Twitter to become, you know, one of his investments. And sure, those Twitter employees are getting paid a lot, but at what cost? So if you have a wife at home, if you have kids at home, and that's how you're going to have to work constantly, which I don't know, maybe down the road it calms down a bit. It's just because now it's just the takeover. It might get busy. and then. But I, I have a feeling he's the type of guy that's not going to let it calm down because it looks like he lives that go, go, go lifestyle too, and he's going to want his employees to do the same. So I personally would say to Elon, you know, you and I are not similar people. I I believe in finding the most efficient way to do something as an exchange for being able to live a more normal life and to be able to go out and have experiences outside of my work environment. And I know if I said that to you, like, what the hell are you talking about, you lazy bastard? <laughs> so you can get back to work. But no, I would. Uh, that's just that's not me. So I would say um, I'm out of here, <laughs> Mr. Musk. <laughs> But yeah, so that's a good example of uh, people who are going to be forced to work very hard and take on the jobs of multiple people. Then that's efficient for the guy at the top, you know, the billionaire with all the money. It's efficient for him because he's seeing those employees mostly. And this is I'm not saying he's being disrespectful. I'm saying he's seeing them mostly as just cogs in the machine and that the machine has to run as efficiently as possible for him to make money. And that's how an investor and a boss looks at these things. But you don't need to be a millionaire. I mean, just to sum up the segment of the show here, you don't need to be a millionaire. You just need to be comfortable. There's so many amazing things in life that don't cost millions of dollars to do. You don't need to be driving, you know, a Porsche or even a Tesla for that matter. <laughs> you don't need to. 
You can, you can, you can drive a much nicer, you know, cheaper automobile that's reliable and doesn't cause you any stress. It still gets you to where you want to go. Isn't that the most important thing of driving? It's not like, you know, we're not living on racetracks. You just drive to go where you need to go. It's the freedom of having the car to be able to travel somewhere. So, I mean, the little things like that, you just look deep into it. It's like, okay, if I'm able to make enough to keep myself comfortable, to live in a decent house, to always have food on the table, to have a car to take me where I want to go, you know, to just uh, be content, be happy. That's all you need. You don't need to go higher than that. You don't need to be a billionaire. If anything, what's the old saying? Mo money and mo problems. <laughs> but that's that's how I see things. So, um, you know, you, you get focused on work too much and then it takes over your life. And what is life? It's a series of experiences. It's very important that you're going to focus in and have this experience known as life. The reason that we're here right now is to experience. And I don't know, some people, they dedicate themselves to their job. I would, you know, say, dare to say that, you know, when you're on your deathbed and you're looking back on your life, if all you did was work to realize somebody else's dream, you're probably not going to be happy about that. I would see myself in that moment. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm about to die. I'm about to leave this world. You know, did I, did I live it to the fullest? And if the fullest was me being a manager of some employees at, um, at a factory of some sort, making sure that uh, steel plates were getting built, and that's all I did, and that's all I thought about all day, then I'd say no. I did not experience life to the fullest. And hopefully the next life, I can, you know, bring that lesson with me. But those who have that, what's the term? Is like a good work-life balance. That's, there's a lot of power in that. So you can have work like, okay, you can have work for nine hours and eight hours a day. You can go home and have your few hours at night. You can have your weekends. You can have your vacations. But if you have a high stress job, you're going to be thinking about your job in the free time and you're actually still working. So work-life balance is also important in the sense that your job is not overly stressful where it takes up your mind day and night. Or you find the abilities to not feel that way, to be able to kind of like calm your mind into staying quiet, which I find if you're beholden to others and customers and bosses is, is very hard to do. But it's possible. It's possible. So when you're off time, you go to the park with your family. You go on vacation to a nice resort, you know, to be able to feel into each of those moments, like to, you know, go to the beach and read that book and really focus in and visualize as everything's playing out. Or, you know, you're going out for dinner with your family to be able to, you know, like listen to what they're saying and have a nice deep conversation with them. And, you know, when you're tasting the food to really taste it, like every single bite to really just, you know, focus in on that and taste every little bit of it and enjoy it. Don't be rushing to get through it so you can go home and check your email. No, you're enjoying that moment. You're enjoying the food. You're enjoying the conversation. You're really into it. That's what you're 100% focused on. That's the core of it. That's the, that's the you know, work-life balance. That's life right there. So you got to you know, take that moment and try and dive into it. You know, find the fun of it. And if it's not fun, try and make it fun. 
you know, start asking strange questions that will make it interesting or, you know, uh, suggest that they watch a movie or play a game, you know, try and change it up. If everybody's sitting around acting uncomfortable, there's nothing to talk about, do something else. And as the other thing I want to say as a, as a, um, a lifelong introvert, it's okay to get out early. It's okay to get out early and move on. It's okay to have a, a set exit in your mind, which helps me if I'm going into social situations that are going to make me uncomfortable. I'll have a set exit in my mind. I'll say, okay, I, I, I want to go. Well, I probably, you know, I probably dread it a little bit beforehand, but I always feel good afterwards. But I'll say, I'm going to go, but I'm going to leave at this time. So if I'm going to go, I'm going to have an hour before dinner, a couple hours after dinner, whatever. And then I'm going to, I'm going to be out of there. I'm not going to drag this out, you know, make an excuse if you have to, you just say, I I just, I got to go, I got to go for whatever reason, but that's fine. I I have found that people do not get angry at you for exiting early, but people might be upset with you and disconnect from you if you don't show up at all. So it's better to go for a little bit than not go at all. I find that to be very, very true. So you're, you're finding the fun. If you can't find the fun, you get out early. But the fact that you're there and you're connected to a group of folks, they're going to remember that no matter how long you stay. And if I get a lot of people, they, they want you to go early because then they can uh, clean up and go to bed. They don't want people to stay too long. I basically, as a, as a host, a couple of times, I, I remember that. It's like, yeah, yeah, come on out. And it's like, oh, then you got to go. It's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm cool with it. So you better connect your show. You don't have to feel being hated because you're leaving before everybody else. You were there, whatever, and, and, and you left. As long as you were a good person while you were there, you made people, people feel better about themselves, you, you know, added to the conversation wherever you could in, in a fun and positive way, that's all they're going to remember. Nobody's going to mark down how long you stayed. I, I guarantee that. So when you're in those moments, and I'll just kind of end on this before giving you a couple quotes, when you're in those moments and you're trying to dive deep into it, I mean, the most calm and simple moments for many are the most boring because we've gotten this addiction to entertainment and this addiction of needing, you know, something being played, something to focus our minds on because we're afraid if our minds are silent, you know, what is the mind going to say after that? If there's nothing to distract us, you know, we might think of our stresses, we might think of our worries, we might think of that time when we were in grade three, when we peed our pants in class or whatever. That's not me personally, I'm just saying you might think of it. <laughs> you know, you'll, you'll, you'll have these things, you're afraid, you'll have these things pop into your mind, and it might, and that's totally fine. If anything, I would tell you to allow it to happen so that you can get used to it, and then eventually just kind of like accept it and, and move on. And that's a huge, powerful habit to get into life is to be able to be able to sit in a quiet room and not really do anything and still feel comfortable and still enjoy that moment. You know, you're, you're diving into the um, feeling of the wind on your face or the sense in the air, the sounds. You're, you know, focused on the person. You're feeling their energy. You're like 100% with them, listening to their words and visualizing exactly what they're trying to tell you. Or you're in the restaurant, you're eating the food, even if you, you can go by yourself. I mean, you want to experience, go to a restaurant by yourself. Don't bring a newspaper, don't bring a book. Just sit there and, and relax. And when the food shows up, you know, eat every bite very slowly. 
Enjoy the taste of it. I mean, these are the things that build your attention span. You know, our attention spans have been decimated over the years, and social media is just making it worse. What's that thing, the TikTok tick? You know, people are actually getting uh, physical disturbances because of watching too much TikTok. These uh, videos are, are too fast, and, you know, you can't really enjoy it. You can't really, it's just like, you know, quick uh, dopamine bursts that that come in when you're watching it for whatever reason what's going on it's something you've never seen before it's a pretty man or pretty woman I shouldn't say pretty handsome man or a pretty woman that's on there and it's not reality and it's definitely nothing that you can just kind of slow down and just be a part of and enjoy so there's, there's slower movies out there that you can do that and tv shows that are just you know beautifully made where you can do that and, the, you know, not have your phone there and just focus on everything that's going on. So, I mean, you don't have to give up everything. There's lots of ways around this. You just really have to just push your attention as far as you can and push your experience as far as you can so that when you're on your deathbed and you're looking back and you're remembering all the beauty you experienced and all the amazing conversations that you had and all the wonderful movies that you watched and TV shows and you were really just focused into it and enjoying the craft of the acting and the writing and the story and you know just the life itself those times you just went for a hike and enjoyed nature and saw the little squirrel and gave him a nut and watched him eat it i mean there's little little things like that you're going to look back on on your deathbed and when you ask the question did i live a good life i think once you've you've seen all that you'll probably say to yourself yeah i did anyway a couple quotes for you here The first one here is from someone, uh, Damie Lee. It's a YouTuber. And the quote is, slowing down allows mind connections to be made. It's very simple. And it's so true. The idea is that you're really learning something. So the slower that you learn something, the more set in your mind that it is. So if you rush through learning things, if you rush through courses... In the end, you're probably going to come away. You might have to restudy it again, but it's just going to be in and out of your mind. So slow that down. You take your time with things. You allow them to settle in. This is why some uh, courses and some books, they tell you to, okay, chapter one is for week one, chapter two is for week two, and so on and so forth. Because it might only take you a day to get through that chapter and do any exercises, but then the six days after that, you can go back to it. You can think about it. You're allowing your mind that time to kind of settle into it. The slower you learn things, the more set in stone it is. And I thought that was a very powerful quote. And the other one is from a very famous philosopher, I guess you would call uh, Lao Tzu, which is, uh, nature does not hurry, yet everything is accomplished. Now, this is just, you know, set in your mind. You set in your mind what you need to accomplish, if you set the highest and the, the biggest thing that you know no human person could possibly do, well, chances are you might fail at it, but as well, you're, you're doing too much. You know, there's a certain level of things that you need to accomplish in your lifetime, knowing full well, in the sense that this isn't the only lifetime you're going to have, that you know, certain aspects of that are going to move forward in the next, but you're accomplishing something here in your journey through this reality so to you know do too much to try and accomplish 
you, you'll have more failure. And then maybe in the end, I mean, if you're a very dedicated person, you might end up, you know, being a millionaire or whatever, and then you'll feel good about that. Uh, I wouldn't feel good about that, but some people do. But then, you know, at what ends? What was the punishment for doing too much? What did you lose in the process for chasing success and money? You know, these are the things that if, if you just kind of relax into your nature, relax into your life and what you need to do, I think that's what this quote's trying to say is that everything you need to do will get accomplished, that there'll be these prompts in your life. As long as you can keep a calm mind and not try and, you know, placate yourself with medication or drugs, that, you know, things will just naturally come to you and you'll move forward at the correct pace. And therefore, in the end, stress is not going to come and get you. Anyway, that's it for this week, everyone. I'll talk to you next week. I hope you had a happy holidays and a very happy New Year's to you all.